0: Greetings in Jesus' name to each and everyone here. We welcome our visitors to the service this morning. I'm going to start out with a trivia question. Um, Does anyone remember what I preached on two months ago? Don't feel bad if you don't know it, because I wouldn't if it was someone else. Um, Do you want some hints? I, I preached on one of the five senses that God gave us. Does that help? Yes. Do you remember what the reference, my, my, uh, the verse was, key verse? Key. Yes. Well, I'm going to use that same verse again this morning. Um, Seeing that God gave us five senses, I only touched on one and kind of parts of others that Sunday, so I'm going to touch on another one, and that's also in the same verse. In Psalm 34, verse 8, it says, O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusteth in him. So I'm going to use that same verse and I'm going to talk about seeing. When you think of the five senses God gave us, If I had to choose to lose, if I had to lose one of them and I got to choose which one I'd lose, the last one I think would be my eyesight. Um, I like all of them. Um, But if I lost my eyesight, it seems to me that that'd be the last thing I'd want to lose. I know there's people that have had great inspirational stories that could talk to you like they could see, but they could not see yet. I'm thankful for them. I'd like to have my own eyesight. Um, some of us, I believe there's no one here that is blind, um, but, but there's a lot of us here that if we don't have any assistance, we may not be able to see very clearly, um, but God gave us technology. We can put something in our eyes or wear something on our face that we can see just about as natural as when we were born. Yet, I wonder sometimes, do we as Christians walk around and forget to put our glasses on and we have blurred vision? Uh, I think sometimes that we maybe act like it. One verse in Psalm 119.37. You do not have to turn to it if you don't need to. I'm just going to read it from here. It says, turn away my eyes from looking at worthless things. And revive me in your way. And I, I look at that picture. We enjoy the gift that God gave us in sight and the beauty that we can see in his creation. But yet, some of our biggest downfalls also come because of our eyesight. And so we need to be careful. And here, David is saying, Turn away my eyes from looking at worthless things and revive me in your way." In other words, we have control. Our eyes are not just in our head, they are connected to our heart, they're connected to our brain. And yet God is asking us how we use our eyes. I have four different areas I'd like to touch on this morning. I'm going to start with the negative side because I'd like to end on a positive note. so the first one I have is how our eyes look when we allow pride and, and foolishness to reign. Turn with me to Ezekiel chapter 12 and verse 2. And there's, there's a number of verses that are, are going to be fairly similar so bear with me. I'm just going to try touching on them either way. I'll read them. They're, they're very similar in their meanings. Ezekiel chapter 12, verse 2 says, Son of man, you dwell in the midst of a rebellious house, which has eyes to see, but does not see, and ears to hear, but does not hear, for they are a rebellious house. So this gives me the idea of someone that can see, but they, they need serious glasses to be able to see clearly. Um, I was accused of being blind. I didn't think I was blind, but there were times that I'd get up in the morning and maybe it's winter time I'd look out the window and oh, it didn't snow much, and then my wife would say, "Um you can't see very clear, why don't you get your contacts in so you can actually see what actually happened? Here it says they had eyes to see, but do not see and I think sometimes we get Tunnel vision, I have nothing, not spiritual, but I have gone shopping already. My wife has said, you know, when you go into the grocery store, get me this. Well, it's not my favorite thing to do because I don't go shopping for food very often. Where do I find it? And I walk every aisle in that store. I ask, finally I ask someone, hey, can you show me where this so-and-so is at? And guess what? I saw it the first time. I just didn't see it. I looked right at it and didn't see it. I think sometimes people are so spiritually blinded, they can look right at something and can't see it, and I think that's where they're at. They had eyes to see, they weren't blind, but yet they did not see. They could not see it for some reason, they could not focus on it. Matthew chapter 13, verses 13 through 15, and this is actually a quotation taken out of Isaiah I will read it in in Matthew. We could turn to Isaiah and read pretty much the same thing. Matthew 13, verses 13 through 15. Therefore I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. And in them the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled, which says, Hearing you will hear and and shall not understand, and seeing you will see and not perceive. For the hearts of this people have grown dull, their ears are hard of hearing, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their ears, sorry, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn, so that I should heal them. Here again we see that they had eyes but did not see, Um, they had ears and did not hear, they did not understand. Another example I'd like to read of, of pride and foolishness of, of someone that the way they see things is maybe different than the way other people see things. Turn with me to Job chapter 18. I'm just going to read a portion of this, this chapter. Just a, it's basically a sample. And this is when Bildad gave his assessment to Job of what he saw in Job's life. And, and I hope none of us here have such wonderful friends like Job had and expressed their feelings like Bildad um, did here. But I'm going to read verses 5 through 11. Like I said, this is just kind of a sample of what he's expressing to Job. It says, The light of the wicked indeed goes out, and the flame of his fire does not shine The light is dark in his tent, and his lamp beside him is put out. The steps of his strength are shortened, and his own counsel casts him down. For he is cast into a net by his own feet, and he walks into a snare. The net takes him by the heel, and a snare lays hold of him. A noose is hidden for him on the ground, and a trap for him in the road. Terrors frighten him on every side and drive him to his feet. When I look at what Bildad saw in Job and he he shared this feelings to Job, I would say that these were very discouraging words. Um, And when we allow pride and foolishness in our lives, we probably won't be an encouragement to people. Now the second part I have is humility and wisdom. Humility is the opposite of pride. Wisdom is the opposite of foolishness. And I would like to, if you just turn to Job 19, I would read a sample size of what Job's response was to build that. And we look at the difference of what pride and foolishness does and how we see things or how humility and wisdom is in how we see things. Job chapter 19, verses 23 through 27. It says, Oh, that my words were written... Oh, that they were inscribed in a book, that they were engraved on a rock with an iron pen and lead forever. For I know that my Redeemer lives, and he shall stand at last on the earth. And after my skin is destroyed, this I know, that in my flesh I shall see God. Whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold, and not another. How my heart yearns within me. And we look at the contrast of those two responses and Job did not allow the discouraging words that his friend told him to distract what he saw God was doing in his life. Psalm 119, 18, you don't have to turn to it, says, Open my eyes that I may see. 2nd Corinthians 2nd Chronicles chapter 7 verses 14 through 16 says if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to prayer made in this place. For now I have chosen and sanctified this house that my name may be there forever in my eyes and my heart will be there perpetually. Verse 14 uses four words that really stood out to me. It says, humble, pray, seek, and turn. Sometimes it takes all four of them. Sometimes it takes two of them. Yet, if we're not willing to do one of those, then we're not fully humble. But God is saying that if you will humble yourselves, if you will pray, if you will seek, and then you need to also turn from your wicked ways, then I will heal you. And verse 16 says, For I have chosen and sanctified this house. But yet we have a part that we have to play. The third point here is healing spiritual blindness. We know that Jesus healed some blind people, but yet I'd like to focus on the spiritual blindness. I'd like to read the account um, in Acts 26. This is not the account where Jesus met Paul on the road, but this is the account where Paul was appealing his case to Agrippa, and he's saying what happened to him. Acts 26, I'm going to start reading in verse 12 and read down to verse 18. Says, While thus occupied as I journeyed to Damascus with authority and commission from the chief priests, at midday, O king, along the road I saw a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, shining around me, and those who journeyed with me, and when we all had fallen to the ground, I heard a voice speaking to me, and saying, in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goats. So I said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. But rise and stand on your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose to make you a minister and a witness both of the things which you have seen and of the things which I will yet reveal to you. I, would del- I will deliver you from the Jewish people as well as from the Gentiles, to whom I now send you, to open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. We see here that Jesus healed Saul's spiritual blindness. Not only did he heal Saul of his spiritual blindness, he also commissioned Saul, I'm going to say Paul now because he changed his name, he commissioned Paul to also go out to open the eyes of those that were spiritually blind to turn them from darkness to light I think we have that same commission today to open the eyes of those that are blind around us in John chapter 9 verse 39 Jesus says here, For judgment I have come into this world, that those who do not see may see, and that those who see may be bl- made blind. You know, we read of the parables for Jesus, not the parables, the miracles Jesus performed on a number of blind people and he made them see. But yet here he says, For judgment I have come into this world, that those who do not see may see, and that those who see may be made blind." So he also made people that saw blind, spiritually. Because it was judgment. They did not perceive what he was teaching them. I have a story I'd like to read. Um, Before I read it, there's a few places in here I had to look um, I looked at pronunciation, I'll try reading it right. The one is Mount Vesuvius. I didn't know what Mount Vesuvius was but it is an active volcano mountain so that, if that makes any sense to you when I read the story it will make more sense if you know what it, wh- what it is. Most of us know what the Suez Canal is, if we didn't know what it was we probably found out when the container got stuck in it and it was in the news. And, We couldn't get goods shipped through the Seuss Canal because it was being blocked. Um, Most of us here probably know what Bigfoot is. Maybe some of you children don't, but um, supposedly Bigfoot is a big animal that roams in the woods and everyone's scared of it, and I don't know that Bigfoot actually exists, but anyway. So the story goes this way. I don't know anyone who would build a summer house home at the base of Mount Vesuvius and it would be tough trying to get campers to pitch their tents where Bigfoot has been spotted. No family I know is interested in vacationing in a houseboat up the Suez canal or swimming in the Amazon near a school of piranhas or building a new home on property that straddles the San Andreas fault or maybe just not building in California altogether. I mean, some things make no sense at all, like lighting a match to see if your gas tank is empty, or stroking a rhino to see if he's tame. They've got a name for nuts who try these stunts, victims. Or if they live to tell the story just plain stupid. And yet, there are Christians running loose today who flirt with risks far greater than any of these above. And they do so with such calm faces you'd think that they had ice water in their veins. You'd never guess they are balancing on the tight wire of disaster without a net. Who are they? They are the ones who rewrite the Bible to accommodate their lifestyle. We've all met them. Outwardly they appear to be your basic believer but down inside, operation rationalization transpires daily. They are experts at rephrasing or explaining away the painful truth of texts. Here is a sampling of accommodating theology. God wants me to be happy. I can't be happy married to her, so I'm leaving and I know He will understand. Another one. There was a time when that, this might have been considered immoral, but not today. The Lord gave me this desire and wants me to enjoy it. Another one. Look. Nobody's perfect, so I got in deeper than I planned. Sure, it's a little shady, but what's grace all about anyway? And this last one, um, Norman, you use this frame of saying a lot, so it's not necessarily concerning you, but it says, hey, life's too short to sweat the small stuff. We, we're under law, you know. We're not under law, you know. Whenever, you run across scripture, whenever they run across Scripture verses or principles that attack their position, they alter them to accommodate their practice. That way, two things occur. Number one, all desires, no matter how wrong, are fulfilled. And number two, all guilt, no matter how justified, is erased. That way, everyone can do his own thing, and nobody has any reason to question another's actions. If he does... Call him a legalist and plow right on. The consequences of sin may not come immediately, but they will come eventually. And when they do, there will be no excuses, no rationalizations, no accommodation. I'm gonna read that last paragraph again. The consequences of sin may not come immediately, but they will come eventually. And when they do, there will be no excuses, no rationalization, no accommodation. If you pet a rhino to see if it's tame, the consequences will probably come immediately. But some things, they will come eventually. The last point I have is our heavenly vision. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. I'm going to read the entire chapter here. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, And I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I was with you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling, and my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not be in wisdom of men, but in the power of God. However, we speak wisdom among those who are mature, yet not the wisdom of this age, nor of the rulers of this age, who are coming to nothing. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages for our glory, which none of the rulers of this age knew, for they had known For had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, eye has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love Him. But God has revealed them to us through His Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God, for what man knows the things? of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him. Even so, no one knows the things of God except the spirit of God. Now we have received, not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. These things we also speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man does not Receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him; nor can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. But he who is spiritual judges all things; yet he himself is rightly judged by no one, for who has the mind known the mind of the Lord, that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. So here it is through the Spirit that God reveals truth through us. And I especially like verse 9. You know, I love going sightseeing, um, seeing the great things that God has created. And I haven't even seen even uh, just a small part of what God has made. Um, When we went out west, there's a lot of good sightseeing out west that just blows my mind. Because I've never seen it before. I've I've read about it, but when you can be there and see it, it's just wow, it's just a lot of wow moments. But yet in verse 9, it says, I has not seen nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. You know, God has prepared something that if we had even a minute knowledge of what it looked like would probably blow our minds. I think that's why God just gives us a sample size of what he has prepared for us so I hope today is just an encouragement that we can use the gifts that God has in a humble way and to search the truth and not rationalize what God has given to us thank you